Our welcome to the Refuge Project. The Refuge Project is a place that we can have meaningful conversation in a safe place. We are your host. I am Pastor David. We got James in the building today. Hey, hey what's up? And we got DJ Overcomer. Welcome. Hey, what's up, baby? How y'all doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to, and honored to be on this amazingly show that y'all got going on right now podcast i love it i love yeah, it yeah, man. we're glad you're here yeah thanks for stopping yeah. by me and uh dj overcomer go back man when when did we first link up uh i think i was a twinkle in my mother's eyes uh, <laughs> uh nah uh man uh 2016 2016 uh, yeah the fuse. I thought it was this black dude on the phone and it wasn't and when i met him <laughs> it was this bald white guy and i was like i get it <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yes. I get it. yeah, man. So we did the fuse in 2016 or 2015 with uh, Pastor Von Juan, and um, it was Social Club and all that stuff too. So, yeah, I think we go back that far. So I I, I met this guy. Was it through Vaughn that we met? How, how do we even link up? I don't even remember now. Oh no, no, it was you. You uh, saw a, um, a now I think it was a now booking video online or on social media and. You reached out to me and and we 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 put on the fuse at the church. Yeah, uh, forgot the name of the church, but um, and that's that's pretty much how we linked up. And you called me and we 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 started chopping it up and made it happen. Yeah, I know that we went and seen you at uh, um, some college, Houston Baptist University, HBU. That's what it was. I went out and seen you there too. Um, after started getting to know you a little bit, and then uh, man, we just really connected as spirit. And, yeah, uh, man. I mean, we we connected more more as uh, uh you know as brothers in in Christ, but but more family together, and yeah, we became uh, uh, very good friends throughout the years, and and you know through my ups and downs and stuff as a as a as a human being, you know we we make mistakes every single day. Uh, you you've been there for me for a lot of a lot of things that I've gone through, and and lifted me up when it's it gets hard as a, as an artist, you know, or especially, and I, I'm gonna say it like this, especially as a DJ. You know, and when you're working for the Lord, uh, you know, as a DJ, you, you get, you know, passed up as as not an artist. And at the time, I'm, I was starting to become my art as me, for, as myself, the overcomer as an artist. And you've helped me through a lot of things through there. And then I met Vaughn Juan through you. Yeah. So it, it was a cool deal because I know when we linked up, man, I, I was super excited. You know, I seen your stuff online and you was doing something different. Like like you said, you was being your own your own guy. Really, before, especially in Christian music, you, you guys, DJs, were always there to support the other artists and spin records for yeah. them. And But you had something different going on. So, But even for me, I thought, man, you know, you'd come in and you'd be like a good opener for, you know, and I was super excited because we booked Social Club. This is one of our, our bigger events, the biggest event that I had done at the time. Social Club was coming in. And... We started linking up, and you just you you just you know got people involved and started bringing sound equipment and lights, and I mean it yeah. turned into a huge production that night. And um, before Social Club even got on the stage, you like rocked the rocked the church, and the, nobody was left. Everybody was yeah, tired. Yeah, I, I felt so bad because Marty that night was like, "Hey man, you can't no longer open up for us anymore." And, and I said, "Man, I'm so sorry." And I mean, I was I was young too. I'm, you know young spiritual spiritually yeah and and uh um that that was a i mean that that night right there i realized what 
my purpose was to do as as what I needed to do. At the time, I was still working a nine to five job, and that night changed everything because that night you you're one of the few that gave me an opportunity because, like you said, we you know DJs overlooked because we just kind of just play music for for artists that come in through town and or we're a lobby DJ or um, you know they put us in a was they have festivals they'll put us in a you know on the side of the stage where mm-hmm. you know kids are running for Easter eggs and doing all kinds of stuff or or fall festival whatever and um I, when i came from the secular world i was just like man i'm gonna be honest like christian music is born yeah like it, i want to dance i want to move and and so when i started creating the you know my craft and learned from the the legend djs out there that are already kind of doing it before you know that now we're kind of but they were, were doing it before me and learning from them we were able to to create um you know, I was able to create who I am in my, my craft and came out there. And matter of fact, I, I got a, a memory of that, like about a couple months ago, which was insanely crazy. And I never forget. I went, I started at 100 and ended at 1000%. And when I got off the stage and it was time for social club, like half the crowd was gone. Yeah. Like you wore everybody out. Gone. You wore them out. I mean, literally you wore them out and they had to go yeah. sit down through the whole social club set. Yeah, and and I, I never forget when when Social Club ended. Uh, Marty goes, "You will never open up for us again." And I, we started, you know, it was all jokes, and I'm like, "Yeah, uh, I still haven't opened up for us." <laughs> or, you know, whatever. So they, so they didn't want you to open for him because you did too good. He did too. No, nah, you know, at, at I know time, he's, still... he, he's gonna say nah, 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 but <laughs> like he kill, he killed the show. Like he, the 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 show was over when he was done. I mean, literally, it was yeah. over when it was done, and they came out to maybe. We probably we had a couple hundred kids youth uh-huh. there that night, and like, uh, there was like four or five hundred people. Yeah, and there was probably fifty or sixty left. Whew. Um And the, you know they were all chilling and relaxing out in the foyer and social club. You know they were getting paid paid the big money. I mean he basically came down for free. I think we gave him a few hundred bucks, but yeah. that didn't even. I got pay. A, I got a pizza. <laughs> but that didn't the even pay Caesars, the money the that we one. gave him didn't even pay for the equipment that he bought. Oh, I mean man. he he he. I, I don't know how this guy does it. Um, but he gets people to rally around him and believe in in, in what God is uh, given his vision, and he gets people to rally, rally around him, and then he just does these, these amazing shows. It, it's not it's not easy, you know. I mean, I don't know. We were we just did a tour in Mexico, and I don't know how I did it, but I ended up getting lights, LED screens, sound in a place that I've never been before, and it was super sketchy when we got this stuff because like I had to like go meet this guy named Cesar. We got, I mean, when anybody has a name named Cesar, it's kind of like sketchy automatically because it's <laughs> easier in English. And when we went to go see him, like there was two dudes in the front of this building. They're like, I said, hey, I'm here to hear, you know, see Caesar. And he's, they're like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, we talked to him on the phone. They're like, all right, we'll be right back. Stay here. And I was like, what are we doing? Don't forget we're in Mexico, deep yeah. down South Mexico. And then they told us, then they told us, they told us, I'm sorry, they told us, go to the back of the building go to the back of the building and uh, uh, there'll be two other guys waiting for you. And when we got there, they were like, wait right here, come. And then we went in there. It was super cartel style. <laughs> and it, we ended up making it happen for like 400 bucks with all that equipment in the States is like three, four grand. Yeah. And yeah. so, but yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, that day of the fuse, it, it, it started something, it started a whole vision um, that we were able to do something, you know, the, the goal of, of, doing what I do 
is us DJs need to be recognized. A lot of, and I, and I want to say it like this because I believe in this, Christian or not Christian, when this started, when hip-hop started, it started off with two turntables and a microphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On DMC, I mean, they, they had Funk, Funk Master Flex. I mean, all these, I mean, if it wasn't a DJ at the party, there was no party. Yeah. Right. If there was just a rapper, it was just a rapper. But the DJ made it a party. And I, I was blessed to back up certain artists that taught me those things. And uh, DJ Pramal was one of them, too, that said, hey, man, you know, we, you know, you got to move the crowd. I mean, if, if you want to be that DJ that's just always not saying nothing bad about those DJs, but I didn't want to be that DJ that was just doing the lobby. Mm. I want to come out on stage and worship differently. You know, I want to show them how I worship. Because when I got saved, music, the Christian music and the, you know, back then in 2007 when I got saved, I think the first Christian album I heard was with Lecrae, which was, uh, which was it when he was wearing like a spacesuit. Which Is one that, was that? Uh, after the music stops? Yeah. And, and not saying anything bad, but I was just bored of it. Like, yeah. Because I, I came from the clubs. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was I was performing at the time with Ludacris and uh, uh, Outkast and stuff back then. Right. So when I got saved, I was like, oh, man, this is so boring. You know, and, and it was all about the every time you went to go worship, you were crying the whole time. Yeah. And And so I wanted to bring something different to the table that where these kids... Cause I got kids like what's going to help reach my kids, you know? And, and I, we, you know, we, we designed our, our stage into our, our my ministry into the show and to performing as a set. And I wanted to, and every single time that I will perform or practicing, even prepare, I prepare like there was 35,000 people there. Mm-hmm. I never forget that show. I prepared a month. I practiced every day because that was like my first big show. My my other my my main big my first break was with uh, Luis on the um, when Social Club came the first time, um, and I got an opportunity to open up for them. But it wasn't it wasn't the same show. Right. And so after that, I said I'm coming back to Houston. I got to make a statement. I got to put a dent. You know, I got to I got to be make sure that they can they know that who Overcomer is because at the time too, as a DJ, my name was DJ Overcomer. I wasn't getting any respect. Because my name wasn't like DJ Spin or DJ uh, Scratch a Lot, DJ Scribble. I mean, it wasn't no <laughs> DJ name, you know. And, and if you knew all my DJ names back then, I mean, it was just it was they were crazy. But because I did radio for for a lot of years, hmm. uh, I actually went to school for broadcasting and communication too as well. And um, I did radio, but but Overcomer, they were looking at me different. Like, who is this dude? Like, and now and now that you look at it, there's there's especially in Houston, there's over overflow, overdose, which he probably needs to change his name. <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's so many. Uh, I met a guy in Nashville. His name was overdue, overdose. and I'm like, it's no, you're due now. To get saved, <laughs> you know, and and so there's so many overnames. So it's not about the, the 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 name of the brand of the DJ. It's about what you stand for and who you are. Yeah. And so I I stand behind my name completely because I've been through so much stuff that I had to overcome. Yeah. And so that night, so when Social Club saw me the first time, the second time, I gave it everything I got, and we just went ham. Yeah. And but throughout the years, I've learned that you got to bring it down just a little bit for the artists behind you because they're the ones that are are the ones that's supposed to rock it after you. Yeah. So, to a certain extent, though, only to a certain extent, I'll, I'll bring it down just a little bit. But 
way in the right. So if you had to explain your style for DJs <laughs> that other people would know to kind of give you some understanding of what kind of show that you put on, what would it be? Well, get this, get it right. <clears throat> hip-hop to the bone to the fullest. Mm. Start hip-hop. You know, I'm, I'm not known in the Christian industry as a, as a hip-hop DJ, Christian hip-hop, CHH DJ, um, and I don't want to be. I don't want to be branded a certain brand, but my style is EDM, electronic EDM, dance electronic, progressive, big room, hard style. It depends what I feel that day. If I had a bad day and stressed out, we're going to go stupid freaking hard because I'm going to, the more, the harder I go, the harder I go on the enemy. The more we jump, the more we stomp on the enemy, the more we clap, the more we clap on the enemy. You know what I mean? So the more we move and stuff like that. So my, my style, I can't really give you a style, but it, it, I would say it is EDM. But it's more an experience is what my style is. Yeah. Because you never know what you're going to get at my show. Yeah. No, we just did a show Sunday. Um, and I think I was telling you before on another phone call that it was an all-out worship set. I love worship. Like, worship saved my life. Uh, when, when in 2007, July 7, 2007, I walked into a church high. Um, and I remember walking in and you never, it never feels when the pastor, you feel like the pastor speaking to you right? Mm-hmm. for some odd reason, you know, and cause he is, cause he is. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then the song called, uh, the stand by, I believe it's by Hillsong. Yeah. And that's all it took. It just, it knocked me to my knees where supernatural miracle that I was, I mean, I was so, I just, I think I just got done smoking an ounce of meth, like two days within the two days before I went to church. I mean, I went, I haven't slept probably in a week. Wow. And I walked into church like super high. And as soon as I, I went in there and got, gave my life to the Lord, the highness was gone. I ended up going home and sleeping for about a week <laughs> Yeah. and woke up with a whole different heart. Yeah. You know, um, and, and it changed me. So it, it's, it's, um, as far as what I do, it's more an experience. And like I said, this Sunday, you know, it was supposed to be like a electronic, uh, uh, EDM worship festival type. But right before I got on stage, my whole computer got wiped mm. and the guys are like, what are you going to do? I don't know. Let's just go. And so instead of me DJing a whole EDM set, we went into straight worship mode, all worship songs, all natural, you know, what they, you know, what they play on the radio, but it's the way I do it. You know, I don't just stand behind a board and press play. I got to present myself to to whoever's going to see me, you know, perform or or come for an experience. Uh, you might have me preaching one day. You might have me uh, singing back up on the worship or, or singing live on the on the songs or you might not even see me doing any of that. It might be just all out party. And, you know, if I can make the 60 year old move, if I can make David Halley move. Come on now. And then make this 13-year move at the same time. If I can make his kids move and him, mm. David David don't move much. He just bobs his yeah, head. Back and, yeah. like, and his eyes get real big. That's yeah. how you know it. Yeah. And at that show in the fuse, I could see, I could I could literally see David in the middle because, first of all, he was the only white guy there. Yeah. In, yeah. In, that's in me. the middle. And, oh and with, with the same haircut. Yeah. You well, know, don't grow, no, so. No hair. Yeah. You know, just standing it. right in the middle. But his eyes are piercing though. When yeah. He, like, 
Like I would hate to make out. David mad. <laughs> what he can do, you know. I ain't always been a pastor. Yeah, right. Huh? I ain't always oh, been a pastor. I know, I know, I know the stories. I know, yeah. I know you're wearing jingles. I mean, uh, uh, jingles back then. So, uh, you know, you had that grill with Paul Wall. I know, oh, come I on, now. Paul come, Paul on come on, come on, come on, come on. Hey, so we talked about a lot of stuff that you you've done now. So let's take it back for a minute. Like, who was? Uh, who was uh, DJ Overcomer when he was 13 years old? Who, who was that young man? As we say in Spanish, a mocoso, which means I had a lot of boogers running down and stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, man, DJ Overcomer was a lost kid, man. Um, I had, I grew up uh, tough. Um, my parents were divorced. My mom um, was was very aggressive. Uh, Houston very, area? Dallas. Well, Dallas? He's, he's out of Dallas. Okay, no, Dallas. I'm, I'm originally from West Texas, San Angelo. Okay. Okay. Well, that's so, why you always go back to, to West Texas a lot, because that's your roots. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, those are my roots. I'm a country boy. Don't get it wrong. I'll put on my Levi's and my boots and my mm. cowboy hat when I need to. All right, all right. Scoot boogie. We, we, we come from the ranch, and, you know, we – no, not even that. It's just we we were – I was raised on, on – as, as ranch boy, you know, working mm. in the fields yep. and pipe welding. Uh, You know, I've been welding since I was nine years old. That was – Welding is a must in my family. If you cannot weld, you are not a man. And don't even talk to grandpa because you can't weld, then you're not my family. So it was like it was like work method in your life. Like you had to learn how to work hard. So as a thirteen year old, um I was I was struggling in life a lot. Uh I had some, some personal bad things happen to me when I was young. At that time when I was thirteen. Um, that I was dealing with, um, that I haven't spoke about to anybody in 20 some years. And I finally spoke about it four years, like five years ago. Um, that at that time, which is crazy, like you said, you brought that number up. That's when I was going through it. So 13, I was lost. Um, but still like trying to figure out who I was because like I said, my mom was very aggressive. Um, she was very abusive. Um, but loving me at the same time, uh, 13 years old, I think, uh, actually when I was 14, I actually moved out to my grandmother's house to get away from my mom. My dad wasn't in my life at the time. Um, so, I mean, he was back and forth, but it, it was a tough time in my life. Uh, 13, 13 is, is when, uh, like suicidal started coming in my head and where I think my first time I tried to take my life when I was, when I was 14 years old. So I was, I was, I wasn't growing, but I was growing up but seeing a lot of bad things because my family uh, dealt with just drugs and, and alcohol and, and abusiveness. Right. I mean, my, my grandfather uh, was one of the biggest, uh, uh, what we call Chiva, which is black heroin uh, mm. dealers in Texas. Wow. I mean, I remember going to his house. He would give me a hundred dollar bill just to go get a Coke down the street at the store. Mm. I mean, he had, you ever seen that movie blow mm-hmm. where you would walk in the room. He has, stacks of cash in the rooms yeah that's the way it was wow and when he got when he finally got busted throughout a long time like my the family that i grew up with were very 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 like feared man it was it was a bad time in my life um that i had to go through but um you know something i needed to overcome so but uh, overcomer before was was lost i've been lost for a lot of years and and at 13 too i started smoking weed um, and that's when my drug habits started happening. Yeah. So 13, I always ask 13 because it's a critical stage in life. Like you're, you're not really a, a kid no more, but you're not a, you're, you know, you're not really a teenager. 
I think uh, I found a hair uh, uh, on my chest at that mm, 13. I think it was man. one hair. And I was like, yes. yes. Wow. Yes. You're a real man. That's right, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I'm leaving it. I am leaving it. Wow. <laughs> Build a fence around it. I had a, <laughs> I had a few on my upper lip at that time. I yeah. wouldn't yeah, I shave I had it for the longest. Like I can't. Oh, man. I can't. And you can't tell a thirteen-year-old nothing either, though. No. They they already know the world. Man, I got one. I got a twelve-year-old girl right now, and she. First of all, these kids nowadays, these cornbread-fed. They ain't built the same. Mahamets that are they look like they're freaking thirty years old with yeah. a full beard at fourteen <laughs> years old. And I'm like, dude, yeah, it ain't the same. It's McDonald's fault. Your twelve-year-old girl has a full beard. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> my 12-year-old looks like she's 17, though, man. She's uh, 17. Wow. And my 12-year-old's uh, like about 5'9 already and tall. And I'm just like, she's already taller than you. Yeah, I think that's all I said. Man. Last night, all I said is like, hey, you washing dishes? A whole 30 minutes of just random stuff that made no sense. Yeah. But she was right. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have girls. Get the five don't boys. Have girls, bro. I, I, yeah, I got I got two girls, two shotguns, forty five. <laughs> I'm ready. I am so ready. So man. ready. But but you know what? The difference between boys and girls, man, is when you get old and gray and you can't take care yeah, of yourself. Somebody your take boys care of you. won't take care of you, but your girls will. Yeah, your like boys we, are gonna put you in a nursing home. I know it. Alone. I know it. I know it. You, get it. you gotta hope that they marry some good women. <laughs> Yeah, I got a twenty-year-old son too, man. My yeah. son, you remember my son? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's about six foot, six foot two with a fro. Wow. You mm. know, all the way. You, I got a shit too. Excuse me, I had no cussing on this podcast, bro. I seriously, man. I'm sorry, that was Chinese. Oh, okay. And and uh, so I and he's he's black, and so my my son's hair is black, so I put them together. <laughs> exactly like, exactly uh, like that's funny. But, so. 13 years old, really kind of struggling to find out who, who you are in life. Um, you know, you, you're going through some obstacles, some stuff that, you know, you didn't choose, but it, they kind of fell on you anyways, um, kind of trying to work that out. Um, so through your te- teenage years, what did, what did you find yourself really just kind of falling into and, and kind of falling for a lot of the traps that the enemy had for your life? Because we know, because we've already talked about some of the over uh, things that you have overcome and where God is using you now. But when you look at that, you know that the enemy was setting traps early on because God had a, a different uh, plan for your life. So t- t- tell us about some of those traps that you might have fallen to. The enemy was just trying to get you off course. Well, he used my family a lot on me because I was always, so where we lived at, I was always by myself. So I was always alone. Um, And so I would always try to be like my older cousins, but my older cousins were always in gangs and stuff like that. So I wanted to be like them and be cool. So I started, instead of being a, I wasn't, I wasn't raised to be a, I wasn't raised or taught um, to be a leader. You know, and I mean, I, I take that back. I wasn't, I was raised to be a leader. Uh, my dad always said, you want something in life, you got to get up in the morning, got to go to work. You know, since I, I mean, it's eight years old. I remember just being out, outside welding, helping, you know, helping my grandparents, helping my dad, my mom, always working. And I would always see them working for everything, like working hard. Um, and, and just going, kind of going back to when, you know, 13 year old, I remember one day when I was 13 and it kind of like, now that I look back at it, even like right now thinking about it, it it changed our whole lives. I remember I remember I was at our house and my stepdad, which I call him my dad, I was I was blessed with two men in my life. Uh, my my father, 
uh, my father. I was blessed with two men in my life, my father and my and my stepdad. Um, and uh, I remember my stepdad getting home and uh, um, said, pack your stuff, we're moving. I was like, what? He's like, pack everything, we're moving. And by that night, we were gone. Wow. And we were living in the hotel. To this day, I still don't know what really happened. I don't. We don't really talk about it. But ever since then, it's been tough for my parents. My, my parents have struggled, you know, their whole whole time since I was, like I said, 13. And and it changed a lot of things for us because we were living in a hotel room. Mm. We were, you know, living in somebody's house in their room. Uh, my mom was very, got even more abusive and, and aggressive um, where it was just uh, getting hit every day was just a uh, part of life. Um, but as I got older, like I said, I wanted to be like my cousins and peer pressure and all that stuff. So I started I started smoking weed, and by the time I was 16, I started doing alcohol, trying to be the cool kid. But at the same time, I was playing sports. I love I love sports, um, but unfortunately, I played football, and uh, I got hurt. So I was able, I was only able to choose one sport. So I chose basketball. So ninth grade, ninth grade, uh, I played for a 5A school, made varsity. I basically got drafted from junior high to come to this this high school so I can play varsity for them as a as a starter in ninth grade. Wow. I wasn't I wasn't tall. I was, I was I was quick and short, but I could jump. I could touch the middle of the backboard, like spud a web, you know, and, and spud McKenzie and all them stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Muggsy Bowles. So, like that matter of fact, those were like my two favorite basketball players because they were small, but they were quick. Mm-hmm. And so, but at the same time, it was just basketball, and then alcohol. And then by the time I was kind of going through it, I was trying different drugs like cocaine and stuff like that because I was dealing with so much pain. The drugs was was taking that, you know, trying to coat the pain. Yeah. It wasn't taking it away, but it, it you know, it coats the pain. And and so it, you know, it, it was a process. And, there, and every day, and as I got older, the depression, I started becoming depressed and very unhappy and, and dealt with, like, peer pressure a lot and fear. I had a lot of fear in my heart, uh, scared, and, you know, from being hit all the time and, you know, being kind of abused and like, I would take it out on people. So I was fighting all the time too. You know, every time I get in a fight, I would see blood. I wanted to punch through their face and punch the concrete. You know, I wanted to make sure that when I hit them, I went through their face. And when you feel like that in so much pain, that's, that's not good. Right. You know? And so that's, that's kind of what I dealt with throughout all these years. And, and even to this day, like I look back and, and I'm like, my childhood sucked. Yeah. Like it was horrible. Like, but it made me who I am today. Um, and be grateful for what I have because these kids nowadays, they're not grateful for nothing. Right. I mean, my son came and asked me one time, dad, I need four Jordan shoes. Four, huh? I said, look at my shoe. Look at my shoe. I had the same shoes for three years. Yeah. My toes coming out. He's like, that's you. And I'm like, man, that's true. You know, I just and, said, and, you should have got the Jordans, too. We'll get sick. You can have a pair. And, uh, I, I know, right? I mean, it made me just kind of think about everything and be grateful because we didn't grow up with nothing. Yeah. we were, Ever since that day that we lost our house, we grew up poor. I remember my dad and my mom lost their job at the same time. I remember my, my stepdad going fishing every day for like a month just so we could eat. Wow. I mean, I remember, you know, people say they're from the hood, 
but you don't got to be from the hood hood to be like ghetto ghetto like but hood could be like it could be anywhere though be, mm -hmm. but i mean growing up poor i mean we grew up on vienna sausage potty meat uh eggs spam bologna and cheese well so did you find sports as like a, a outlet to life where you could like go out there and, and be on the court and, and just find yourself like i don't have to worry about being poor i don't have to worry about you know the abuse at home but i can get on the court and i can just let some of those things uh, go right now and just really be intense about sports the first though the first reason why i started playing was because i could get away from my mom we would travel mm -hmm. that was the first reason and then i started falling in love with it and i realized i was good at it i realized that i was very i was always competitive i always played sports growing up too we I mean you know my mom and always put me in sports one thing good about what's amazing about my mom, my mom always supported me in sports. She was always there at the game. You could hear her yelling at the ref every single time. Like, hmm. she was... It's about to be aggressive mom, on the know? ref, huh? Yeah, yeah. And it, even through school, too. Like, my mom, like, if I had a 69 and I needed a 70 to pass... She can make it happen. Mom, <laughs> I need you over here, right? I would get I would get in trouble when that would happen. Like, I mean, I you know, but I would, I'll be playing the next game, too. You know, and... and um, not saying, you know, like my mom wasn't like a bad person, but she was, she was amazing when I needed her there. But the sports was, was, it became life for me. Yeah. Basketball was everything for me because that I wanted to be the first Hispanic guy in, in, in NBA. Like I'm, I said, I'm going to make it. I mean, when I, when I played basketball, I mean, I went to the university of Texas to play basketball. Mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah. You never, you never look, you know, just because you see the look, <laughs> don't judge a book by its curve until you read what's going on. And I mean, I, I even played with Anne one. Uh, I played on the McDonald's team as well. Um, I went, I got a scholarship to the University of Texas to play. And, and, uh, but it all got, I ended up getting tendonitis in my ankles and uh, I couldn't take the steroid shot anymore that they wanted to give me every day. So I lost my scholarship. Mm -hmm. And so when I lost my scholarship, well, what better way to code it was with drugs. More drugs. Mm -hmm. when, More did, drugs. when did you find yourself fall, falling in love with music? Man, so in ninth grade, I met a guy named Carlos Trevino, and this dude was different from everybody else. Everybody was sticking to coming from a country place to your basic style, jeans, shoes, shirt, country, that's just it. This dude, i never forget him, he walked down the hallway in some Jinkos, right? Baggy Jinkos, and I'm like, what the heck are those? Introduced myself to him, hung out with him for a little bit. He even he even showed up. I, I never forget. He was one of the first ones to show up with an import car with some rims, lowered exhaust, right? Hey, you know, you I mean, all of that. And then he started doing graffiti, and I was like, "What the heck? This dude's cool." And he started breakdancing. So I was like, I was like, I was like, man, um, I want to be like this dude. So he invited me to his house one time and he said hey man you know come over come check it out so i walked into his room and there was a set of turntables technique 1200 turntables mm, and i remember on the wall, those. it was a bunch of graffiti right it was a small house and i forget it he was like i was just staring at him he was like you want to get on i said get on what he's like you want to play with them i was like yeah so he put on a record of vinyl his actual vinyl and I fell in love, and now today that guy Carlos is DJ Promote. Oh wow! Which backs up 
Lecrae, you know, yeah. he's, he's an international DJ that travels all around the world with Lecrae. And, and, uh, he's, he's a veteran legend that took the heat before I got on, you know, to do something different. And, and he's, uh, <clears throat> he's the, another reason why I became a Christian DJ. Wow. And so I, I fell didn't know that. The, yeah. I fell in love with the music. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was him. I know. I, I remember you telling me a story, but I didn't remember being DJ promote. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know you had hair in the back of your neck too either. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, man, and it's because of him. Like I fell in love with it, and I never turned away from from DJ. I remember that night I went home, which these youngsters don't really know what a tape player looks like. Come on, but now. back then when you when you from the hood, you don't have tape. You don't have tape covers. We didn't have tape covers. We just put the cassette tape in there, right? Yeah. And then it would mess up, and then we would wind it back in there. Uh-huh. But mine had two decks, so I would try to I would try to a uh, beat match with each deck. Wow. You know, I would record the songs and then I would just keep going. And I remember my this is gonna suck. If you ever call me this, <laughs> let's hear it. Come on, this is a safe place to have conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I said, man, my my DJ name is DJ Rewind. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then I would put my finger in there and slow it down, uh, because you know chopping screw was kind of like that's when DJ Screw was doing his thing too. Yeah. So I was able to chop yeah. it up. I mean, screw it up. But I I remember that man, and I remember I remember getting my one of my first set of turntables that you know you had to put CDs in it, and um, see like these DJs now like they don't they don't man they don't know well at that time well at that time it it wasn't CDs I actually bought some techniques and bought vinyls. So I started out with vinyls, but when it started becoming about, you know, the virtual stuff on the computer and the laptop, I wasn't, I didn't have the money. So we went to vinyl to CDs, but I never forget a lot of these young DJs don't know what it's like to have a book super thick, full mm-hmm. of CDs that have, you know, three slots, I mean, uh, uh, six different slots, but on those CDs, my wife trips out today too. She goes on your CDs and never had the list of the names of the songs. Right. I'm like, no, it just had a name on it. She goes, and you remembered every single song on that CD. I'm like, yep. Wow. That's how we did it back then. Do you still then, use a? Do you still use, Do you do digital stuff now, or do you still use? Yeah, like I, yeah. Well, <clears throat> everything is digital. You know, your software. I, I use Tractor and Serato. Fixing to switch it up this week because my my DJ equipment just broke on Sunday night, mm-hmm. and so now I got to upgrade to a new style. Uh, which are CDJs, which is no laptop, it's all USB. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a different style of technique of DJing because there's a lot of people don't know this. There there are different styles of DJs. Yeah. Like uh, of DJing from turntableism to powerhouse to to uh, uh, beat jugglers. I mean, there's all different techniques. And so, um, but I'll never forget the CDs. Like you had no idea how hard it was to beat match. How would you do it with CDs? Because I know, like, if you went old school, straight up vinyl, you know, you would have all the different decks and a different record on each deck, and you would line them up, and you would switch back and forth between them and all. And today, if if you're a DJ and you're doing it all digital, you basically got your like iTunes library or whatever you're using, and you load up those songs onto like virtual decks. And then you can, you know, treat it like it was an actual record, except for it's just an MP3 file. So when you're doing CDs, you're not scratching a CD, you know. So how, what's the deal with the CD? So you, well, they had CDJs. CDJs was a, they, they had those from back then. Um, it's basically the same way, but you couldn't really do much with it. So all you could do is pitch bin. 
Mm-hmm. So you would you would try to pick the closest you can to the beat, and then you could just mess with the pitch bin. Yeah. And basically, I mean, you had to be very creative to know. So 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 I would play one song right, and then I'll put the next song in. I would have to fast forward it. Yeah. And listen on my headphones and find the spot where I want to start it so I can so I can beat match it and then be creative and mm-hmm. then try to go back and forth. I mean it, it was it was a lot of work. But yeah. and they didn't pay us nothing back then. Yeah. But I mean, but but those those things when you go through life and I mean that's really like going the hard way to get somewhere, that teaches you a lot. Right, because if yeah. it, if it would have been easy for you, like it, it, you wouldn't have learned the things that you know now, the techniques yeah. and different things that you know now. So yeah. we think like sometimes that, that in life that we have to go the the hard way around, or we have to go you know over the mountain instead of around the mountain. That we don't learn things that make us who we are. And to looking at you know your style now, a lot of those techniques that you might not even remember you using then were critical to get you where you are now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, yeah, and that's a good way to put it, because it, it, so I'm starting out when I started, because people always ask me, how many years have you been DJing? And I tell them all the time, 25 years. Wow. And I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, I started out with vinyl. And some of the DJ vinyl, I'm like, don't, don't even, <laughs> tell me you don't know what vinyl is, right? now. here's somebody say, hey, I've been DJing for two years, and then I'll see them cocky. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, you need to know the history. Yeah. So before you can become cocky. Yeah. Because if you know the history, you won't be cocky. Yeah. And that's what's wrong because these new platforms of, of equipment we use, you can be matched with with one button, which is called sync. Yeah. And then it matches everything up. But back then, even life, even in life, life is not always going to sound the same. Your your life is not going to be on the same tempo all the time. And when and when life in life the tempo is not right, you got to make adjustments. So the tempo can get right. Yeah, we don't have the easy so, button, right? You don't have that same. easy button. That you don't have that button. easy button. So when you did vinyls, you had to play with the little, with the little, uh, the little spindle in the middle, so you can mm-hmm. slow it down. And that's, but that's why we say sometimes God is a DJ in your life. Yeah, He's got to mix you up sometimes too, so it can sound right. And sometimes that song does not want to sound right. So it takes a creator to be created, so you can sound right in life. Uh-huh. All right, preach, brother. Preach. I mean, don't hey, get me but, preaching, bro. I'm going to write that down right now. Send hey, me that so I can hey, talk about that. Yeah, already got that. I'm going to preach about that next week. Um, yeah. Before we get ahead, so it seems like to me like ninth grade was uh, a critical time in your life. You, you, you've you uh, kind of stepped forward and playing some high-level basketball. You fell in love with music. Um, so your, your whole, like, uh, future was being molded in, in ninth grade. Uh, Tell me about, you know, the rest of your high school career. Uh, I know that, you know, you was ta- you, you kind of referred into being um, addicted to some drugs and alcohol. When you, when you went through all of that, how did you find yourself uh, in that church that day uh, high? Uh, how, how, was there some people in your life that, like, <clears throat> got you there? Talk about that, that time in your life. And how old were you? Uh, I was, how old was I? 20 you got you got to make me put me out there like that yeah uh, let, let me get my calculator real quick I think, <laughs> I think I was 20 it was 2007 I think I was 26 okay so you was out in the world for a minute yeah. you know you you're were, out of co- yeah, I mean, when, when, or... 
So like I said before, 13, I started smoking weed. 16, I was doing alcohol. 18, I was doing cocaine. By the time I was, I was 20, I was doing ecstasy. By the time I was 21, I was stuck on meth. Um, and that was one thing that I always told myself because every, this is going to sound bad, but I was able to control everything else. But when I got a hold of meth, and I'm, I'll never forget the first night I did meth. I'll never forget it. I mean, it was a bunch of my friends and um, kept peer pressure. Like, come on, man, do this. Don't be, you know, punk and all this other stuff. And I said, no, man, that's crackhead stuff. I'm not doing that. I'm not smoking out of a pipe. That's crackhead stuff. And finally, I gave in, and i never forget it was out of a, out of a light bulb with a straw. And I felt different. I was like, 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 a, like the hope, like, whoop. I was mm-hmm. like, whoa, whoa, I felt unstoppable. Like it was like a super, like a super high that you, it, it, like you can run a thousand miles in like 10 minutes, like, like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I felt like alive for a minute and it became where it was just kind of like for fun. And then I realized it was something I needed to have. And then I realized it was something that I was making money off of. And then I realized that I wasn't addicted to the meth anymore. I was addicted to the rush. Wow. Then I realized I wasn't addicted to the meth or the rush. I was more addicted to almost getting caught by doing it and getting that rush afterwards. Wow. So that I was... remember going I remember going to a police station getting high. That's crazy. That's the kind of stuff that I did for me to get high. That's crazy. So you, there was like six, a six year period where you was you was on this meth and and you know I can imagine body crumbling, mind crumbling. Oh, I was forty. So yeah. So going going back to the other question and then that question too, as I progressed in the in the meth game, I realized I could make a lot of money. So I started cooking meth. And once you start becoming that person, you start becoming like you're not messing with no twenties or a hundred dollar bills. Mm-hmm. You're messing with several thousands of dollars, I started making pounds. I wasn't selling no ounces anymore. I was selling pounds and kilos and it became where I had to get protection. So yeah. I started messing with the cartels and I started having a lot of money and power. And I remember my uncle one time came to my grandmother's house. He's like, Hey, sit down because I was 45 pounds underweight. Wow. You know, at, at 510, you shouldn't be 120 pounds. Yeah. You know, um, and and the and the built that I was because in basketball I was in shape. I was I wasn't big, but I was super cut, super ripped. I used to work out three three times a day, and so I used to like taking off my shirt when I washed my car. You know, I wanted them to see my six pack, uh, <laughs> and so at the time it was an eight pack. But anyways, uh, it's a six pack of Pepsi's right now, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but it became it became like I could tell my uncle came and sat down with me, and he was like, "Do you know God?" I said, "Yeah, I know who God is." And, and I, I grew up, I grew up, I didn't grow up in the church. And this is what I tell people. I was a drug baby. They drugged me to church Wednesday. They drugged me to church Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. They always mm-hmm. drugged me to the church, right? But there was so much stuff going in that church, affairs and this and that. Like, even my family was involved with some of the pastors that were having affairs and stuff, too. I was like, this is all ridiculous. And so, and 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 going back to being with the cartels and stuff, and, and my uncle, I told him, I know God, but I can be God too. Mm. He's like, what do you mean? I said, God can take life. So can I. Wow. God can bless somebody. So can I. God can give life. So can I. I, 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 I mean, I can do that too. 
Sounds like uh, said, sounds like the meth talking to yeah. Me. <laughs> right? And, and but my uncle said, my I remember my uncle saying, but you're not God. God don't give life like like the way you're gonna give life. God don't take life like the way you're gonna take it. God don't bless the way you think you think you're gonna bless with evil money. That's the devil. And I said, I don't want to hear this stuff. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear anybody else. I am my own person. I don't need y'all. I got this. And I remember at that moment, something changed because stuff started happening, crumbling down the body. My body started deteriorating. Um, at that time, before that, I was I was working a regular nine to five job as a mechanic. I was with my wife, my girlfriend at the time, which is my wife. Um, my wife found out that I was live, living two lives behind her back. And she caught me. And the next day I got home, she was gone. She took my son. Wow. And I mean, I had nothing in the house. If you ever, if you ever moved into a house and walk in and there's nothing in there, that feeling like, wow, this is great. We're about to move in here. Mm. Or the feeling when you're about to move out the house and there's nothing in there and you look back and you're like, man, I'm glad I'm moving out of this house. Imagine all that in one motion because what do I do? Do I move out? Do I stay? I mean, I don't know what to do. I'm my, my family just left me. I just lost my son. I just lost my wife. I mean, my girlfriend at the time. And it became hard. It became difficult. And it became where for me was survival. I had to survive and be in the game because I was already in it. Because once you're in the cartel stuff, it's, it's being real. It's blood in, blood out. It ain't no joke. And I was part of a, a Thongo Blast uh, prison gang too, as well, for protection as well. And then, uh, you know, it's crazy because the devil will start bringing you some weird people. I mean, my right hand man was in prison. He got out of prison and was was my right hand man for slicing the man's ne uh, throat. Wow, that was my right hand man. Yeah. When you looked in his eyes, you didn't see white or the or the color of his eye. It was all black. Mm. I mean, this dude was so evil, like. You, you could feel the the evilness of presence when he stood next to you. Yeah, tell me about that. Tell me about that transition. Tell me about the transition from uh, DJ Eric 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 Rewind um, <laughs> to DJ Overcomer. When when did we find this transition? You got you, you walked in the church that day. You got you so, got yeah. saved. Uh, you was high. Things at that moment changed. It wasn't an easy road, you know. Um, no but, man, it, it got it got harder. So. So going back, going back to that church, so the uncle that talked to me the first time, when I walked into that church, uh, I never forget. You know, when you walk into a church, you walk into a door and you, you know, for the first time, you kind of feel like, oh, my God, I feel this presence. And feel the wind hit me and all that stuff. Well, it was the AC on top of the door that hit me. <laughs> but I never forget walking in that door. And I was like, like, why am I here? And I look up. My uncle was standing right there. Nobody knew I was going to church that day. Wow. Yeah. So but why did uncle, you go? Did you say why you went? And nobody's ever asked me that. You just That's went good. by yourself? You just felt like you needed to go? Nobody said, hey, uh, come with me? Or Man, that's crazy. Uh, no, man, out of, the, out of the, all these years, nobody's ever asked me that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't recall why I went. I knew that if I kept going the way I was going, I was going to die. Mm-hmm. I and mean, this is vote. after your wife already had left or your girlfriend at the yeah, time? Yeah. She, she's gone? Yeah, well, well, so when, when my wife left, 
when my wife left uh, about six, six months later, she called me to pick up my son. And I was like, yes, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. Never showed up. Mm. She showed up to my house with my son. When she walked in, there was cash on the floor. There was uh, three kilos of meth in, there, in the house. My son saw all that stuff. And I slipped my arms that night. Uh, that day, I slipped my wrist. I took about eight pills of ecstasy. Uh, I mean, I, I took every, I tried everything I could to ruin my, uh, in my life. And I ended up in a suicide unit for like three weeks. And then in the suicide unit, uh, never forget that the TV turned on and a pastor said, do you know that God can turn all your scars into stars? Wow. And the TV turned off. And because I was so underweight, I couldn't leave that place right away because I had to gain my weight back to get healthy and make sure that I wouldn't go back to doing that. So that, that, that day after that, uh, I ended up here in Dallas and my wife came at the time, she was girlfriend, but she came with me back, came back with me, but I ended up sending her back again a week later because I was withdrawing real bad. And so again, to that question, I don't know why I ended up that day there, but I'm glad I did. Divine so appointment. In the transition in the transition of going forward, like it was really boring when I got saved. Like, cause I thought, I thought we can't do this. We can't, we can't say this. We can't have no more drinks. Life, you know, we can't watch this because the church that I was going to wasn't a Bible teaching church. It was more that you can't do this church. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, this is horrible. And so I was struggling with faith and stuff. And I relapsed three years after I got saved. Um, or no, two years after I got saved in the third year, uh, the youth pastor there at the time, uh, I just said it real quick. I said, yeah, man, I used to DJ. He goes, what? I said, I used to DJ. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, man. I, there was a time for about maybe six years I didn't DJ. And my, you can always tell a DJ from everybody else. Either they're moving their fingers constantly because they're, you know, the, the crossfader or they're doing something, or you, you can just kind of see their movement when they're hearing music. So I was always doing that. And my wife thought I had, like, twitches from the drugs. I'm like, no, I'm just, <laughs> I want to get back in it. Well, that, that pastor heard me, and he goes, call me tomorrow. And uh, I said, why do I need to call you for? He goes, just call me tomorrow. He goes, you got you got turntables? I said, no, I don't got no turntables. Because I sold all my turntables for, for dope. And he goes, call me tomorrow. Well, the next day, I called him, and he bought me some turntables. Wow. With CDs, right? So I started DJing. I said, he goes, can you DJ? I'm like, fine, that's cool. I'll DJ a couple of stuff. And it was, I don't know, I don't know, David, if you remember SoundClick? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's where you get all the illegal yeah. uh, Christian that, music. Yeah. yeah. All the remixes. And so I was on there getting music and DJing at the same time for so about a month. I had a SoundClick account. Illegal Christian music is yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Illegal. <laughs> illegal Christian music. Yeah. It was all illegal. Um, but... But at the same time, man, I remember a month into that, I get a phone call that our the pastor's no longer going to be there. Oh, wow. I'm like, what the heck? Like, why are my youth pastor? Like, I love this dude. Like, I, I believed in him with all my heart. Well, I found out that he had an affair on his wife with his assistant. Wow. And I was like, this is all fake. This is all fake. I saw, and I remember grabbing that DJ board and I just freaking, I, I went to his office. He was there, opened up the door and I just threw it at him. I said, I'm out, man. I said, this is all fake. None of this is real. All this, what y'all talk about is all fake. And I remember leaving there, calling my wife, my, my, which is my wife now. And 
I said, I don't want to, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then um, that's when it got really hard because I found out with the people that I rolled with back then, the cartels and the things that I've seen that I'm dealing with actually now, um, I opened up some major doors and found out that I was possessed in crazy ways. Um, and throughout those years, <clears throat> there was one, it was, uh, 2015. Um, I went through the fight of my life. I fought eight demons literally through my body being possessed. They all had names and my wife <clears throat> was right there fighting, fighting them like face to face. And they were starting to manifest in a lot of ways. I went to this doctor's office because they thought I was, they, they were going to try to put me in a mental hospital. And I remember going to the doctor's office, which one of these days when I see that doctor, I'm going to be like, why'd you do this? Because when I went there, they looked at me, they checked me. And then the husband came in and then he came in, he was a pastor. He came in, looks at me, goes, Hmm. And walks out, tells goes and gets my wife. They come in and then they come in with the Bible and I'm like, what's going on? And they, they lay down and they lay down and they strap my arms to the side of the beds. And then all of a sudden he just activated them hard. And I remember, I don't remember much there, but I remember bending in the poles and I remember all kinds of stuff started happening. And then he stopped and sent me home. Wow. Didn't cast them out, mm. but activated them. Mm. And then it was hell for about three weeks. The same room that I got saved in is the same room that I destroyed too as well because my wife was doing everything she can to save my life until I fought back. And the last one that I fought against was the spirit of Python that I fought against. I never forget, I had two of my uncles and cousins and my aunts on top of me. I remember picking them up, throwing them against the wall when I was on the ground, just with my arms. And I never forget that I, I screamed so loud and I saw something come out of my mouth and it was a black, black, huge smoke looking thing. And then, then another white one came out and they were fighting like, it looked like a big old tornado on top of me. And then all of a sudden <clears throat> it was peaceful. And then I remember, I remember I, I sat up and I stood up and then I smelled this, this smell, this aroma of flowers. And to this day, I've never smelled that again. And it was, I actually, I had twice. But the first time, it, it was so strong that it, it burnt like the inside of my nose. And the flower, like the, the aroma was just so strong. And I remember silence and hearing a voice that I've never heard before. That I've never, ever, I mean, it was so peaceful that I dropped to my knees. And, and the, the words were, you're an overcomer of all. I have gifted you a long time ago with something so special. And now you're about to use it for the right reason. Mm. You're going to use it for me. And I'm going to take you places you have never been. And at the same time that happened, as he was speaking to me, I started feeling like water all over me. I started feeling like this pure, like a shower was all over me. And I kept telling my wife, do you feel that? I'm all wet. And she's like, I don't see nothing. I don't hear, I, what are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, my wife hears it. Mm. 
And I'll, that's the moment that I knew. I remember waking up. I remember like opening my eyes and I look at my wife and I said, I got to do music. I got a DJ. She's like, okay. I said, no, you don't get it. I got a DJ. So that day, the next day, I was so weak from all the fighting. I get a phone call <clears throat> and it's uh, Carlos Trevino, DJ promote. He's like, hey, I'm at your snow cone shop. I'm like, what? And he goes, you going to be there? I'm like, I was very weak. I could barely walk. I'll be there. I remember like crawling to the car, get into the snow cone shop and literally, literally seeing him. And he goes, give me a big old hug. I told him, I kind of told him what I was going through. And he was like, bro, why don't you start DJing again? I said, man, I've been thinking about it. He's like, well, what's your DJ name? And I remember looking at him and I go, Overcomer. DJ, well, at the time I said OC. He said, what's that stand for? Overcomer. He's like, okay, do it. And that day, three weeks later, I did my first show in front of 3,000 people with an artist named Moses Evere. Uh, I don't know if you remember b Right. Mm-hmm. And um, they both ended up at my shop the next day after Promote did, and I became the DJ for Moses, and my career started. Wow. And that was in 2016, and haven't looked back since. That's I've amazing. I've been moving forward. Now, we don't got much time left. Uh, it's always good to have guests that can talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have very much time left. But... You trying to say I talk a lot or what? <laughs> But uh, so life, like it wasn't like it wasn't easy after that. You know, you still went through some issues with mental health and uh, you still went through some issues with, you know, uh, fighting drug addiction and all those things like those things didn't go away. You still had a fighter on your hands. Um, But just tell us a little bit about how the Lord was there and he helped you through those things and and how he just continued to build your faith and, and, and continued for you to be who you are today. Well, I'm going to be honest, man. The music industry and the Christian industry, there's no difference from secular and, and, and Christian. It's a business. Yeah. It's business. Business is business. And there's evil in business. Um, and and not saying it in a bad way, but I had to learn a lot by being DJ Overcomer. I wasn't taught the ropes of how to act when you go perform somewhere. Um, David, you were there for me on one of the biggest tours that I got a, I got a hold of. You know, I was... I was in my prime that, the, that that I thought I was, and I failed hard on this tour. I mean, this I was traveling the country with 116, you know, and I was on tour with Tadashi and Trip Lee on the, um, what's it called, tour, the, I forgot what it was called, but um, I, I started, I forgot what it was to be the overcomer, and I was more concerned about the DJ on this tour than, than anything else. Because autographs, pictures, you know, following the social media and all the love. And I was traveling by myself, so the temptations got even harder. And at that time, I fell into temptation. And I fell. I relapsed. And I kid you not, not every every place that I went to, I would always find a dope bag. A bag of dope. Nobody would believe me until, like, recently. Because it still happens. Uh, one of my guys... Uh, that I was on our ministries, like I said, look, and I showed him. He's like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "Every time, everywhere, all the time, the devil always tries to tempt me somehow." Wow! But I'm so strong. I'm 
cover now that I can just, man, whatever, I'll pick it up and throw it in the trash. But you do a good job by keeping people around you, too. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so with that, I mean, when I fell, you know, it got hard. I tried to I tried to uh, take my life that night, too, when I got kicked off the tour because I didn't make it to a show, and then I was just not acting right. And so after that, that's when the true Overcomer got created. Mm-hmm. The Overcomer got created when I failed because I had to come up again or either I was going to quit or come up again. And I said, nope, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. And as I kept going, Overcomer Ministry started, mm-hmm. which is it started with three guys, one guy. It started with my wife. Oh, by the way, my wife came back in my life and my son. So, and, uh, but it, it started being created with David. As, well, let me say it like this. The family, the Overcomer family started being created. Right. You got to have a family first before you can create the ministry. You know what I'm saying? Don't get me preaching. But <clears throat> again, it started out with, with David, with Von Juan, other pastors, other mentors in my life. And then it created from two guys on the team to five guys on the team. So now we have 15 guys on the team that we travel the whole country to overcome our ministries. It's not just about the music. It's about our life. And then now we have a chapter in Mexico City that is not music. It's only ministry where we help orphanages and villages and stuff out there, too. So to being who we are now to the experience, because you never know what you're going to get. And it's I say like to anybody that's listening, it's hard in life. It's hard being a Christian, hard being a believer. Mm-hmm. And even being a DJ in the industry, they put you in a box. I don't like being put in a box. You know, I'm not a I'm not a clown just for you to wind up so I can pop out every now and then just to make you happy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a lion in a cage. When you release that cage, somebody's going to get eaten. Somebody's going to get bit, you know. And, and so for me, I didn't want to be created in that box. So we created to who we are now to where... We're a church that travels the country with no walls, mm. no walls. And we are so, everybody on the team is a misfit somehow, somewhere. Somebody's crazy on the team. Like the fat, skinny, white, black, Guatemalan. I need a Chinese guy though. I need a Chinese. <laughs> I need a Chinese, but, but it's, be, it's become to create who we are now. So right now I'm just hitting my prime and I'm 39 years old and I'm still rocking these 16 year olds. Yeah. Awesome. And people are like, how much do you have? Like, how much do you have so much energy on stage to go ham for an hour and nonstop jumping? I'm like, it's not me. When I get on stage, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, when I get off, I'm hurting. <laughs> Give me my Bengay. Yeah. Give me my Bengay. I, I, you know, I'm hurting. But as far as who we are now, I had to go through everything that I went through from, from the age I was since I was born to now to, to today. Because it's even been harder now. I lost my dad two years ago. My wife went paralyzed last year. She overcame something that's very rare to be overcome. And to being who I am now, to travel the country, I have probably one of the biggest challenges this weekend. I'm going to a country music festival. There you go. All right. Secular country music festival. Mm. The end of night with electronic music. That's right. All right. There All right. You go. The I got Rascal Flask mixed, remixed. George Strait. They're going to love Hank it. Williams, and I'm hey, like, country music these days is just pop music with a different thing. You can totally I do it. I grew up on old school country, like George Strait and all that. You know yeah. what you get with a country song backwards? 
your mom, yeah, your everything. dad, your dog, uh-huh. your girlfriend. Yeah, you, you get it all back, man. Get it all back. <laughs> hey, let, let me let me ask you this, and we're gonna wrap up. Um, you you've dealt with some mental health issues over the years. Try to commit, you know, uh, suicide multiple times. Um, I, I feel feel lucky um, that I was there for you at, at one of those times. But if, if you're going to talk to some young people that are dealing with some of these mental health issues and feel like that they're not uh, good enough for for their family and their people around them and they're struggling with some of these things, just speak into their life right now. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Um, God, give me the right words to say to them. If there's, if there's, first of all, let me say it like this. If there's a million people or 10 people listening, let me just reach one of them. Don't give up. Life is better on the other side. Speak about your issues to somebody. There's somebody that will listen to you. Because there's been times that I didn't talk about what's happened to me in my past. But there was always that one person that just listened to me. Surround yourself around good people. If you want to know your future, look at the people around you. Find you mentors that will mentor you. Don't be shy. Speak about what's happened to you. Because what's happened to me is something that it took me 20-something years that almost destroyed my life. Like, literally destroyed my life and my marriage and my kids. And if, if I didn't speak about it, I want to be the overcomer that I am today. I can care less about the DJ and the lights and the experience and all that stuff. It's fun. But that's my net to cast out to reach people to to listen to me and for me if you're listening now know that god loves you god has never forsaken you or forgot about you god sent his son to die for me and you and maybe god doesn't answer your prayer right then and then maybe he won't answer your prayer in a year but he will answer that prayer when it's time for you to really listen and pay attention like i get it now he'll lay out a a platform not not a platform where there'll be millions of people. I mean, he's done that for me, but he'll lay out a, a platform for this moment right, right now that I'm sitting with two brothers and listening to me to say, hey, God loves you. And there's nothing that God cannot, there's nothing that God will give you that you cannot handle. And if you're listening right now, and if you're thinking that you have an addiction, um, because it can come back in your life. When my wife went down, I got I got an addiction that I couldn't beat. And the addiction was survival mode for my family. I got addicted to work and working so hard so my my wife didn't have to, you know, worry about bills. And it was something that, a switch that I couldn't turn off. And so, again, cast all your cares and all your problems onto God. Again, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. And, And maybe you have some cracks in your life, but a broken arrow can't soar far. Like you have to seal that crack back in your life. You have to heal, get healed and forgive yourself. Forgive yourself first and forgive the people that has broken your heart before you become them. Because if you do not forgive them or first of all, forgive yourself, you will never get far in life. Because the next level that you want to reach, that unforgiveness will stop you from getting to that next level. And the next level after that and the next level after that. Love yourself, forgive yourself, Forgive the people that's hurt you and let God completely take over your life, even when it gets hard and never, ever, ever give up. And if you feel like you're going to fall, fall forward so you know where you're falling. That's what I'll leave them with. Man, beautiful, beautiful. 
Hey, man, I appreciate you, you stepping by, man. You almost made me cry, bro. bro. Hey, you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what the people needed to hear, man. And I appreciate you stopping by and sharing your heart. I know it's not easy to always share some of the things in your life that hasn't went well. Um, but, you know, the, the Bible says by the word of our testimony. And um, and I think that a lot, a lot of times people need to hear what, what goes on in, in our life, but they also need to hear how we've overcome. And that's yeah, exactly man, and what a lot done. of people don't know too the back, you know, the what it, what we got to go through to go be on that stage. Yeah, you know, you, you go what you got to go through. How many pools you got to clean? You know, yeah, yeah, come on. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know, there's there's a you can preach about anything. There's a, you can preach about pools. How hard is it to clean a pool? How yeah. hard is it to turn that pool from green to clear? Yeah. It's the same thing with God. Yeah, if you just listen. And use the right chemicals and don't go the cheap route. <laughs> You'd be all right. But yeah, yeah they don't. They, you, yeah, they don't know, man. They don't. They don't know the sacrifice it is to leave leave your family for two weeks and go into a foreign country and and have everybody back home and oh, they think everything happens on the stage, but it don't all happen on the stage. You know, the, oh, man. God's I, got, I, I just did this tour in Mexico, man, and it was uh, fourteen shows in eight days, and I was super pumped because God said, "Go over there and find your purpose." Yeah. And I leave it like this. I was like, all right, well, David, you know, when I started, it was like two speakers in a park with some kids when I started, you know, being a Christian DJ or a DJ overcomer. And I went over there and I was like, this, none of this is my purpose. Mm. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I finally realized what it was. My family, my wife and kids were my purpose. Yeah. That's awesome. Figure out what your first purpose is, and then you watch what God does. And it's tough, man. It's tough sometimes. But shout out to you, bro, because, David, you never gave up on me, man. I love you, brother. Today I posted the video of the Lecrae show when I opened up for Lecrae. And, and I haven't talked to David or seen David in a long time, a couple of years. And David got a chance to see meet my guys and hang out with us. And, and uh, I got a chance to just, uh, you know, send you a shout out and got emotional, man, because if it wasn't for people like you, that never gave up on somebody like me, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. No, I appreciate it, man. They, God's yeah. put a, everybody in, in in our lives for a reason, and you've blessed yeah. me as much as I bless you. Uh, yeah. So appreciate you stopping by, man. Uh, I'm going to holler at you soon. Bye, Bearder Dude. Bearder guy. <laughs> see you later, man. Nice Love to you, meet bro. you. All right, I'll see you. We'll see you next time. This is The Refuge Project.